The title of the message today is What Does God Require of Us? And the passage I've selected for this message is from Micah chapter 6 verses 1 to 8 which read as follows, beginning at verse 1. Now listen to what the Lord is saying. Rise, plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Listen to the Lord's lawsuit, you mountains and enduring foundations of the earth because the Lord has a case against his people, and he will argue it against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? Or how have I wearied you? Testify against me. Indeed, I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from that place of slavery. I sent Moses, Aaron and Miriam ahead of you. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, proposed that Balaam, son of Beor, answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, so that you may acknowledge the Lord's richest righteous acts. What should I bring before the Lord when I come to bow before God on high? Should I come before him with burnt offerings, with year-old calves? Would the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, or with ten thousand streams of oil? Should I give my firstborn for my transgression, the child of my body for my own sin? Mankind, he has told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. The historical context. The book of Micah describes widespread religiosity where people, especially religious leaders were making a public show of how religious they were with loud lip service to God. See Micah chapter 3. It appears that business as usual religion had kept religious leaders self-satisfied and the powerful in power. For a messenger of God like Micah to enter this scene and proclaim judgment against the faithful would have come as a great shock. God's opening arguments. In the first five verses of our passage today, God lodges a legal case against Israel, calling upon all of creation to act as the jury. The mountains and foundations of the earth will hear God's charges and Israel's pleas. This is no petty disagreement, but is set within a cosmic framework. We are told that the Lord has a controversy with his people. We do not get a list of transgressions in these verses, but previously in the third chapter, Micah lays out a host of sins and later verses in chapter six supply specifics. The wealthy of the city are full of violence and its residents speak lies from verse 12. We hear God's plaintive repetition my people at the start of verse 3 and then again my people at the start of verse 5 as God tries to understand what has gone wrong as God reviews the divine human relationships so far there is implied judgment of the people in direct contrast to God's faithfulness we then get a brief salvation history where God lists the saving acts of the Lord in verses 4 and 5. 
God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt. God gave them leaders, Moses, Aaron and Miriam. God blessed them through the foreign priest Balaam, even against his own king's wishes. And God brought them into the promised land from Shittim, the last stop of the Israelites' desert wanderings, to Gilgal, the first stop in the promised land. Each one of these acts is a full story in its own right, and each story reveals the chronic unfaithfulness of the Israelites. These brief two verses serve to remind the people who this God is. This is the God who hears the cries of the people and brings them out of slavery. This is the God who will use even the outsider to bring blessings. This is the God who shows compassion and mercy when his people fall. Even the Israelites' idolatry and injustice cannot prevent this God from acting. This is the God who is faithful no matter what. The entire creation stands witness to this God made manifest in these acts. The people reply. Now the people reply in verses 6 and 7, the question, what should should I bring before the Lord, is tantamount to an admission of guilt. There is no attempt whatsoever to counter God's claims and no evidence is brought forward to defend themselves from God's accusations. The people quickly revert to the familiar formula. Sacrificial offerings to make up for their transgressions. This response only reinforces the pattern of showy religiosity that Micah has already condemned, especially from leaders who look to their own interests. See Micah chapter 3 verse 11. Micah would expect such false leaders to turn first to conspicuous acts of sacrifice as though the problem is appeasing God rather than changing their own behaviour. Micah makes it clear that there will be no more business as usual in the religion department without a change of heart and life. The go-to response here is to appease God through a form of scorekeeping that tries to put a price tag on God's mercy. What payment will it take to get God off our backs? Burnt offerings? Thousands of rams? My firstborn, how can we even up the scoreboard? But Micah is not buying it. We cannot just make a mobile money transfer and all the problems are solved. No more business as usual. Coming to verse 8, Micah contrasts this scorekeeping approach of the Israelites to the path God has already clearly given, one that is rooted in the law of Moses. Mankind, he has told you what is good. In other words, Israel should already have known the answer to their questions. God then says that he did not need or desire their religious rites or sacrifices. Instead, the Lord sought Israel's justice, mercy and humility. Moreover, Micah stands in a line of prophets who have repeatedly reminded the people of this path. Micah offers a summation of what God requires, one that is simpler, but at the same time more difficult than keeping ritual practices. 
to act justly, to love faithfulness, and to walk humbly with your God. The answer to Israel's sin problem was not more numerous or more painful sacrifices. The answer was something much deeper than any religious observance. They needed a change of heart. Without the heart, Israel's conformity to the law was nothing more than hypocrisy. Other prophets tried to communicate a similar message. See Isaiah chapter 1 verse 14, Hosea chapter 1 verse 14, and Amos chapter 5 verse 21. Unfortunately, God's people were slow to heed the message. Refer to Matthew chapter 12 verse 7. Act justly would have been understood by Micah's audience as living with a sense of right and wrong. In particular, the judicial courts had a responsibility to provide equity and protect the innocent. Injustice was a problem in Israel at that time. You can refer to other passages from Micah for more detail. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 3 and chapter 6, verse 11. Love mercy contains the Hebrew word he said, which means loyal love or loving kindness. Along with justice, Israel was to provide mercy. Both justice and mercy are foundational to God's character, as in Psalm 89 verse 14. God expected his people to show love to their fellow man and to be loyal in their love towards him, just as he had been loyal to them. You can look at Micah chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, and chapter 6, verse 12. Walk humbly is a description of the heart's attitude towards God. God's people depend on him rather than their own abilities. We see this in Micah chapter 2, verse 3. Instead of taking pride in what we bring to God, we humbly recognise that no amount of personal sacrifice can replace a heart committed to justice and love. Israel's rhetorical questions had a three-part progression, and verse 8 contains a similar progression. The response of a God heart of a godly heart is outward to do justice, inward to love mercy, and upward to walk humbly. The message of Micah is entirely relevant today. Religious rites, no matter how extravagant, can never compensate for a lack of love. See this in Corinthians chapter 13, verse 3. External compliance to rules is not as valuable in God's eyes as a humble heart that simply does what is right. To enact justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with God are not single acts that can be ticked off the list and left behind. On an individual and social scale, in ways large and small, this is a way of life. Periodic nods to equity do not constitute a faithful life, Micah tells us. We cannot confess with our lips on Sunday morning and hold grudges at work on Monday. Rather than offer God thousands of rams, Micah calls us to offer a thousand daily acts of love for each other and the world he loves. Walk humbly with God means knowing our bent to self-righteousness. 
We cannot play church or frame our religious life as a game where we keep God in check by performing prescribed duties. The life of faith is indeed a walk that reorients heart and life. I've selected a couple of reflective questions um, as follows. Question one, to pause for a moment to consider what does the Lord require of you? And the second question, are there situations where you default to ritual practice to excuse yourself from the divine demands of justice and mercy? And in closing, um, in searching online for this passage of the Bible translated into song, there's a particular bluegrass rendition, which was my personal favourite, certainly not a musical style that you will see in Uganda. And if you look at the written message, you will see that link to a YouTube clip. And um, as I was looking for this, stepping back to last week's message from Monica, you can catch this same bluegrass band on a, on a second link, putting to song the story of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. Um, and they, uh, the link to that clip is also um, provided at the end of the, the written message that's shared with you today. Have a blessed week ahead, everyone. God bless.